If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. While you're turning there, I just want to kind of explain where we are going to be for the next few weeks, months ahead. Uh, So this is going to be our last week going through Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Next week, I'm going to go through Psalm 23 and really look at the Lord who restores our soul. I thought we, uh, we could use a little restoration of our soul during this season. Uh, and then we begin Advent, and our Advent series is we're going to look how different people responded to the Christ child. Come the new year, uh, we will be going through the book of Philippians, and then Lord willing, I hope, I pray, Lord willing, come Palm Sunday and Easter, we will begin our series on Romans. Uh, but of course, everything, you know, you have to have the, the COVID asterisks on this. Uh, everything seems to change a few days out. Um, but this is where we are planning to go in the next few weeks and months ahead. But this morning, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 8. Once when the king of Assyria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the God of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Assyria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? 
set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we do pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts. We might come to see and understand the word you would have for us. Pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so there is a whole lot that happens in this story. Um, I find it utterly fascinating. I mean, once again, we get to see these fiery chariots uh, and and horses that come. Uh, But really, at its core, this story is only about two things. I mean, forget all the other little details around there. And just if you focus in on the main thing, it's simply this. This is a story about blindness and sight. About blindness and sight. And by blindness, I'm not talking about a physical blindness here. I'm talking about an inability to perceive what is true. An inability to perceive reality. And sight is when you're given that ability to see what is really going on, both on heaven and on earth. Uh, And I want to go ahead and encourage you that five years ago, July 12th, actually, 2015, uh, one of our elders, Thomas Ritchie, preached on this text, and he did an absolutely fantastic job walking through this. I want to encourage you to go back in our archives on our website, and you can listen to that. Uh, But you're going to hear a lot of the same themes because, once again, it's really a story about being blind and then coming to sight. So the story begins here with the king of Syria. He's frustrated because Israel seems to always know his plans. They always seem to be a step ahead of him. Uh, Somehow they know exactly when and where he's going to strike. And this happened with such frequency, he begins to suspect that there's a spy in their midst. You know, one of his own staff has to secretly be spying and, and working for the enemy. However, everyone is assuring him it's, it's not the case. It wasn't any one of them. It's Lane Kiffin. He's stealing signs, and he's reporting it back. Uh, sometimes you just have to use a football analogy just to get your attention, you know, make things connect. Uh, but they're, they're essentially saying, it's not us. It's not us. It's Elisha. He's stealing the words from you. He can actually hear what you are saying on your bed as you lay down. He knows your secret thoughts. So the king says, well, we got to hunt this man down. And just for a moment, I want you to think for the, about the absurdity of what the king has just asked to do when he says we need to hunt down Elisha. I mean, they, they all just agree that Elisha knows every move the king is going to make before he makes it. And yet now they think they can actually make a move without Elisha knowing about it. They can actually somehow strike Elisha without him knowing about it. Of course Elisha's going to know about this trap. It's absurd thinking. It's illogical. What they should be doing in light of knowing that a prophet of God 
can hear even the most inner, most secrets of one's heart, can hear what he whispers on his bed at night, what they all should be doing is repent. They should know that such a God, such a prophet of that God, if he knows these secrets, he knows my sins and I should be repenting. That's what they should be doing is repentance and quit attacking Israel. But they don't. And here at the start of the story, we see what will be a theme throughout. Blindness. They're blind. Spiritually blind. Uh, They couldn't see their own sin. They don't see their own need to repent. And in their sinfulness, they actually become an irrational people. And they begin running around blind. And of course, this blindness is all around us in our culture. Um, I, don't, I don't check Facebook that often. Uh, there's actually been times I've been really tempted to just shut it down. Uh, but one of the reasons I stay on Facebook is because I want to know who the crazies are, okay? Um, I, I, need, I need to know. And so I keep, you know, as friends, some, some really extreme people out there so I know who the crazies are. So just because we're Facebook friends, um, don't, don't assume things, all right? I, I might not have unfriended you for other reasons. But anyway, you you don't have to be on social media long to realize that people are always speaking out of both sides of their mouths. The people, they they spew out the most irrational thoughts. For instance, I can read a post from someone who makes a passionate plea for everyone to trust in science and to listen to our doctors in regards to how we are to fight this pandemic. Yet the very next day, I can read from the same person a post that is pro-abortion, essentially telling us to reject what science clearly tells us about life in the womb, and that that is a fully human life in the womb, a child that can even feel pain. There's an irrationality there. It's an irrationality that comes from being spiritually blind. And basically, it's going to be through the lens of their sin that they're going to choose to believe whatever they want to believe. Science suits them, grab it. Science doesn't suit them, discard it. But what else could they do? Because they're spiritually blind. They don't see their sin and a need to repent. And neither does the king here. So the king, he sends out, you know, his henchmen to go and, and to catch Elisha. And he gets word that they're in Dothan. Elisha's in Dothan. So he sends his army there. He completely surrounds the city. He sets there an ambush. And in the morning, Elisha's servant, he comes out. You can almost picture him, you know, like yawning, stretching, rubbing his eyes. And he looks and he is surrounded. An entire army has surrounded the city. And he panics. He just runs in. He wakes up Elijah and he's like, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elijah calmly says, don't don't be afraid. We have way more people on our side than on their side. And of course, the servant has no idea what Elijah is talking about. I mean, for him, he just sees the two of them. And they're completely surrounded. He thinks they're like, you know, Butch uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's just the two of them and doom is imminent. So Elisha prays, Lord, would you open up his eyes to see what's really going on? And suddenly his eyes are open and he sees everything differently. 
Because now we can see the Lord's army. And he sees these fiery horses and chariots that are surrounding them, protecting them. Now I'm imagining, assuming that Elisha's servant is actually a good, decent, moral man. That he has correct theology. I mean, after all, he's been following Elisha around as his servant for quite some time now. He likely knew the Sunday school answers to everything. But here we see his eyes hadn't been opened. He knew theology. He knew it in the abstract, though. But when his eyes were opened, that theology became real. You know, it's one thing to... Uh, you know, to just read about the beauty of the Lord. It's another thing altogether to see that the Lord is beautiful. You know, Isaiah could talk all he wanted about God's holiness, but it wasn't until Isaiah 6 when he had that vision and he saw the Lord is holy that he fell down and he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. It utterly changed him when he saw what he already had believed. Seeing changes you. I can't help but think of Frank Barker, um, whom, just in case you, you don't know who he is, I can't imagine that's possible for most people here, but uh, he was the founding, or is the founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, he's the father of the PCA denomination. Um, and the Lord used him in so many ways in this city to, to bring out revival in many areas. Well, a few years ago, Lauren and I, we had the privilege of sitting down with Frank and just talking with him and hearing his story. Um, and he told us, you know, that he grew up, he believed in God. At some point, he, he decided he wanted to be a pastor. He went to seminary, got trained to be a pastor. Um, then he left for a period to, uh, to join the Air Force, and he became a pilot and while he was in the Air Force, a chaplain actually came to him and shared the gospel with him. I mean, shared the gospel with the pastor. He'd gone to seminary. And Frank said it was like he had never heard the gospel before. He said he couldn't believe what he was hearing. It just hit him afresh and new. And he realized at that moment that although he's seminary trained, studying the Bible all the time, he actually did not know Jesus. And Jesus became real to him, and he trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So he was converted after seminary, and his conversion puzzled him more than, more than anything, more, more than anyone. I mean, he, he asked the chaplain, he said, how is this possible? How could I have never heard the gospel until now? And then he said, you know, I mean, in seminary, I just read through Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. How is it that Martin Luther missed the gospel? And the chaplain just laughed. He goes, well, why don't you read through his commentary again? And so Frank Parker did, and he couldn't believe it, what he had missed before, because Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, the gospel drips from every single page. He had just been blind, and he couldn't see it before. You see, 
Even if we grow up in church our entire lives, hearing the same thing over and over, we actually have to be given spiritual eyes to see and to understand that message. Frank had to be given eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel. Because of this, I want you to notice Elisha's reaction to his servant. He understands God must open hearts. He doesn't rebuke his servant. He doesn't rebuke him for his life. Why can't you see? What's wrong with you? Idiot. Why, why can't you see what's going on, really going on in the world? He, he doesn't do that. And he, he doesn't, you know, give him some certain website to go to. He doesn't say, you need to listen to this podcast and it's going to explain what's really happening around us. He doesn't do that. He prays for him. He prayed because he realized this man did not need new information. He needed to see. And this is something that only the Spirit can bring about. Church, hear me. We don't need to argue with people who are blind. We need to pray that they might see. No one is ever argued into repentance. No one has ever argued into becoming a Christian. I have shared my faith many, many times with people over the years, and I have never once had a person repent of their sin and come to faith because of some incredible argument that I brought to the table. Probably for many of you, the testimony you've personally experienced is the same, in which you, maybe you grew up in church, you were told the gospel, and nothing happened. Then you were told the gospel, and nothing. Told the gospel, nothing. Told the gospel, nothing. Told the gospel, and all of a sudden it was like you heard it for the first time. Why? It was not new information. It was the Spirit of God opening up the eyes of your heart, making Jesus suddenly beautiful to you. In other words, your eyes were opened. And in a world that is filled with people who are spiritually blind, maybe we should spend less time trying to win an argument and time on our knees praying for sight. And we need to pray for our sight as well. Uh, even if you are a Christian, there's going to be times that you are blind to the heavenly realities, blind to what's really going on. You know, other people around us who are filled with the same fear and anxiety of the world, like when we are filled with the, the fear and anxiety of the world, it's because we're perceiving the world the same way they are. Ask yourself, what do you see when you are surrounded by financial debt? What do you see when you get that bad lab re report from the doctor? What do you see when you're alone on a Friday night and are so isolated? What do you see when your marriage is on the rocks? Do you only see the enemy who has surrounded you? Or do you see that there is more with you than there is with them? Church, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
We are never, ever alone in any challenge that we face. Elisha walked out to meet that army because he knew he was not alone. So what is it that you see? It's a probing question. Do you see the army of the enemy or do you see the army of the Lord? And perhaps before we ever pray for deliverance from whatever situation we are in, the first thing we should pray for is sight. Because if we could actually see Jesus on his throne and that the whole host of heaven is doing his bidding, bidding, and that this pandemic, this election, the work you are in, the relationships you are in, are all completely in his control. Perhaps if you could see that, you begin to live life a little differently. All right, so the Syrian army here, they charge down against Elisha, And right after praying that his servant receives sight, he now prays that they would become blind. Uh, And I don't think this is really a physical blindness here because Elisha is then going to lead them on a 12-mile march um, all the way into Samaria. And you can't do that if you're physically blind. Um, I think, once again, this blindness is an inability for them to perceive what is really going on. I mean, they... Already they were blind because we could see they weren't being very rational, but, but now they've lost all sense of perceiving reality. They don't have any idea where Elisha is leading them. They don't even know who Elisha is. And what they're doing is just putting one foot in front of another, in front of another. No idea where they are going or why. And here we get such a vivid picture of what life without Christ looks like. It's a life without vision. It's a life where you don't ask where you are going. You don't ask why you're doing the things you're doing. You're, you're just blindly putting one foot in front of another. You know, you need, to, you need to go to school. You need to get good grades so you can get a good job, so you can buy a bunch of things, so you could just follow along with whatever the person in front of you is doing. You could believe whatever your culture is telling you to believe, and you just blindly go along with these things, never stopping to ask, where am I going? Why am I doing this? You're blind. That's what life without Christ looks like. Elisha here, he he leads these people all the way to Samaria. Once again, it's 12 miles away. The king of Samaria cannot believe his luck. I mean, in verse 21, he says, can I strike them down? Can I strike them down? I mean, he's like, he's giddy like a, like a little child. And he's like repeatedly asking his dad for something. Can I, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I do this? Can I do this? He wants nothing more than to kill all these people. And Elisha says, you will do no such thing. They're not going to kill their enemies. They're going to feed them. And here we see that Although all along, these Syrians, they thought Elisha was the enemy. In truth, they had been blinded to the fact that he was their advocate. He was their mediator. He was the only one standing in between impending judgment and them. 
They've been blinded to grace. They came for a fight, and Elisha is preparing them a feast. What a picture of grace we get here. It's, it's this beautiful picture of salvation. I mean, when these Syrians' eyes were opened, all they could see was God's impending judgment upon them. No way out. They had sinned. They knew it. They were getting what they deserved. But instead of judgment, God lavishes grace upon them. And then we see how this grace transforms them. They go back home different men. It said that they never raided Israel again. I've actually been really convicted by Elisha's response here. Um, because honestly, I think I'm more like the king of Israel. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I come ready for a fight way too often. And I think we're in a culture that encourages this. Honestly, I think we're in a culture that gets giddy at the thought of destroying your enemies. When was the last time, and you're going to have to think hard about this, last time you've ever read a headline that said, so-and-so disagrees with so-and-so? You don't ever read that. It's so-and-so bashes so-and-so. So-and-so burns so-and-so. So-and-so is something phobic because they disagree with someone. It's like everybody just wants to heighten the language. Everybody comes ready for a fight. Everybody comes loaded for bear. I mean, they really are. Ready to take on not just enemies, but anyone who disagrees with you. But church, we have a call to love our enemies. To bless those who persecute us. When people come ready to fight... We prepare them a feast. We lavish grace upon them. Or have we forgotten, church, that we once were enemies of God and he lavished his grace upon us through Jesus Christ, his son? And that's really to whom this story points. Jesus is the greater Elisha. He's the greater advocate, the greater mediator, Jesus is the one who stands in between us and eternal judgment. Uh, remember when Jesus was surrounded by soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26? Remember? Uh, Judas had just betrayed Jesus. Uh, the ambush had now been set. Uh, the soldiers, they were all surrounding, coming to grab Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword. He, he strikes someone, cuts off their ear. And Jesus immediately rebukes Peter and says, Peter, put away your sword. Have you learned nothing? Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You see, Peter just saw soldiers but Jesus saw the heavenly realities and that he had all the army of God at his disposal. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the Lord of hosts, meaning he is the commander of these armies. But Jesus does not call the armies down for his protection. 
Instead, in that moment, he allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be crucified. And his body became bread given to his enemies. Jesus did all of this in order to pay our debt of sin. Do you see that? That we stand condemned, but He mediated on our behalf? He lavished grace. He took the punishment we deserve. Do you see that? Have your eyes been opened? If your eyes are open, you will see that is so beautiful and it will forever change you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that through your Spirit you would open up our eyes. For those in this room who are blind, give them spiritual sight. And Lord, give us a supernatural love for our enemies. Just as you loved us, may we love them. Instead of fighting, may we give them some grace to feast upon. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.